We will continue our study of John's gospel today, still in John chapter six, beginning in verse 30. We have already um, come past in the text five, five of the seven, there it is, five of the seven of John's signpost miracles. Pastor David did a great job last week explaining that those function as, uh, as directional indicators. This way to salvation, this way to a right relationship with God is in this, this one, Jesus Christ, that we find our way ultimately home to heaven. We've looked at water into wine, which shows Jesus creating something from nothing which only God can do. We've looked at the long distance healing of the official son, which shows Jesus mastering time and space, which only God can do. We've looked at the healing of the lame man by the pool of Bethsaida on the Sabbath, which shows that Jesus, as only God is, is Lord of the Sabbath. We looked at the the miracle meal, the feeding of 5,000 men plus women and children, showing that Jesus is the source and sustainer of life as only God is. And then we looked at Jesus walking on water as he took that stroll across the stormy north end of the Sea of Galilee that night, showing that Jesus is Lord over the very states of matter as only God is. And now we come to this, this, this sermon, the so-called bread of life discourse, which is Jesus' follow-up message to the feeding of the 5,000. This happens probably the very next day. This, this crowd of people has followed Jesus back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, crossing multiple times, some by boat, some on land, over the, the 24 hours or so since the feeding. It's not everyone who was present at the feeding. That crowd was probably between 10 and 15,000 people at a minimum. This message is preached inside the synagogue of Capernaum, which while was quite large, didn't have that kind of capacity. But those who are in the synagogue that day are among those who were present for the miracle. That is pretty clear as Jesus unfolds this exposition. The bread of life discourse basically encompasses the rest of John 6. And we won't get to the whole thing today. So I've broken it in into two parts. The bread of life, today we look at part one, the manna. Part one of the bread of life message is is against the backdrop of the Old Testament miracle of manna. And part two of the bread of life discourse encompasses a metaphor, Jesus' physical body as he talks about the appropriation of his upcoming sacrifice on the cross now less than a year away in the chronology of Jesus' earthly ministry. Before we can talk about the first part of this message, I need to give you a little, a little background and reminder on the manna. For those of you who are familiar with this Old Testament moment, it'll be a reminder. For those of you who aren't, uh, a, a short introduction. Exodus 16 is the key chapter in the Old Testament. Second book of your Bible, uh, 16th chapter. God's people, Israel, have just been miraculously rescued from centuries of slavery in Egypt. They've been led through the Red Sea by a miraculous parting of that massive body of water, and God has them now in the wilderness. Their arrival in the Promised Land is still some distance ahead. In fact, it will come to be the case that their arrival in the Promised Land is some 40 years ahead. 
But meanwhile, having just crossed the Red Sea, finding themselves in the wilderness, they begin to whine. It's, it's amazing. Rather than looking back at their slavery and thanking God for his deliverance, they look back at their slavery and say, yeah, but we ate good. And this desert we're in now seems to be a bit of a hungry place. So God, because he is gracious, responded and established a pattern. A pattern that held for 40 years. Six days a week, when the dew on the ground dried up, for 40 years, it left behind literal bread, bread from heaven, bread that no human hands had baked. On the sixth day, there was enough for the sixth day and the Sabbath. The instruction was, gather each day's bread that day. Don't try to keep it. It'll get worm-ridden and stinky. It won't keep. The lesson is that I will provide for you every day the bread you need. Remember, in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That's a shout-out to manna, using that word picture. And because you shouldn't do the work of gathering it on the Sabbath, on the sixth day, that one day a week, I will see to it that the double portion is there and only that day it'll keep till the next day. And so for 40 years, God provided bread from heaven for his people. Now the Israelites Jesus is with back in John 6 knew that history very well. They had seen yesterday, Jesus had provided for thousands and thousands and thousands of people with the bread and fish from one small child's meal. In the sort of most epic scale miracle Jesus ever did, and apart from his resurrection, the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. So we come to this day, the day after, and many in that crowd are still there, and uh, conversation ensues the bread of life I'm going to read the passage as we go this morning so Roman numeral one the bread of life's source verses 30 through 34 so they said to him Jesus has just said to them that the work of God is that you believe in me you're asking about the works you can do to be right with God, the effort you can put forth on your own that'll make you right with God. And I'm telling you, it's not works you do, it's the work of God that you believe in me. Believe in you seems to have struck a nerve, and so we pick it up in verse 30. So they said to him then, what, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Lots of things going on there. Roman numeral one, the bread of life's Source, letter A, they. A couple of things we see about, about them, the Jews in the crowd. First, number one, they ignored the sign. Verse 30, they ignored the sign. Now, every now and then, someone has said there are no dumb questions. I disagree. 
In my nearly 60 years on earth, I am completely familiar with dumb questions. I would argue the world is full of dumb questions. By the way, you know what's dumber than a dumb question? What's dumber than a dumb question is the dumb mistake you make because you weren't brave enough to ask your dumb question. Ask dumb questions, it's okay. It's a means to avoiding dumb mistakes, but if you don't believe, if you would say there's no such thing as a dumb question, I invite you to consider this question. Remember, they had seen him feed 15 plus thousand people the day before from a little kid's Happy Meal. They had seen that with their own eyes one day earlier. Today they ask, what sign do you do that we could see and believe? I submit that is a dumb question. It's a profoundly dumb question. Letter uh, A1 on your outline, they ignored the sign. Yeah, 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 believe in you. Yeah, we get it. So how are you going to prove it? Yesterday? A couple of things arise from that. First, I, I very much enjoy evidentiary apologetics. I believe there is a place for the honest answering of questions about how biblical truth hangs together and how it does apply in the world that is. But as we have said repeatedly, unbelief is not mostly an intellectual matter. These people saw what he did the day before. They were standing inside the large, most large-scale miracle Jesus ever did. Yeah, but what are you going to do? Remember, unbelief arises mostly from the heart. Jesus said to Nicodemus a few chapters ago in John 3, this is condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. It is love of sin, not lack of evidence, that locks people in on unbelief. The evidence is plentiful. Certainly here the evidence was plentiful, but they ignored the sign. Not only did they ignore the sign, they misread the scriptures. The scripture they quote here is Psalm 78. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus' correction of them in a, in a moment makes it clear that they think the he in Psalm 78 is Moses. Moses gave us bread to eat. What that, what that lets you know just on a cursory reading is they know that phrase from Psalm 78, 24, but they don't know Psalm 78. They've learned a little buzz phrase that they've yanked out of scripture. They've not been learning the scripture. And by the way, there's a, there's a pointer there, a reminder there for us. When you study God's word, mostly by looking up buzz phrases that underscore the point you want to make, you can know all kinds of bits and pieces of scripture, but miss what the word of God is trying to teach you. Why do we go through this laborious and time-consuming process of teaching verse by verse through entire books of God's word? We don't want you learning buzz phrases and catchy t-shirt slogans from God's word. We want you learning God's word. 
They can quote Psalm 78, 24. They have no idea what Psalm 78 says. Fascinating. Because if you read Psalm 78, it's a catalog of things God has done. It's not talking about Moses at all. They, they miss it. And so Jesus, let her be on your outline, Jesus first corrects their statement. Guys, it wasn't Moses who gave you that bread from heaven. You've misunderstood that. Thank God for secondary causes. You know what? Real, real world. Every other Thursday night, for now more than 19 years, every other Thursday night, um, a, a, a happy little email comes from my bank telling me that a direct deposit has gone in. And from that money, I do things like pay my house payment and my uh, power bill and a lot of other things. And you know what? That, that comes from the people of the McGregor Baptist Church. And I'm grateful. But I'm not mostly grateful to you because honestly, it doesn't come from you. It comes through you from the Lord that we both worship. That doesn't diminish my gratitude for you, but it elevates and keeps me aware of my gratitude for God. They were given Moses credit for manna. And they had forgotten. Moses didn't stay up all night with an oven somewhere baking that bread. Moses let him understand it, but he didn't provide it. So Jesus corrects their statement. Second, Jesus raises the stakes. Jesus raises the stakes. They think they're having a conversation about bread. Jesus' miracle the day before, they had gotten their bellies full of bread. Manna was a daily feeding of bread. But here Jesus says, look, there's several things we need, to, we need to kind of amp it up a little bit. First, that manna was more than a thousand years ago. This is now. Jesus says, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Not gave, gives. We're talking now. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So we raise the stakes. It's now, not then. Second, it's the world, not just Israel. He gives life to the world. In Exodus 16, Jesus, the Lord didn't give manna to the world. He gave manna to his wilderness wandering nation Israel. But the bread of life is for the world. Jew, Gentile, the whole span of the human experience every tongue, tribe, nation, every ethnicity, every economic status, every zip code, area code, continent or nation. Those who will follow Jesus will find eternal life. It's now versus then, it's the world, not just Israel. And it gives life. Notice the bread that comes down from heaven gives life to the world. Manna sustained life. The miracle of the day before, continued life. Jesus gives life to the spiritually dead, something bread, literal bread, could never do, even if it had a miraculous origin. Jesus raised the stakes. Thus, Roman numeral two, the bread of life's salvation, verses 35 through 40. Jesus said to them, I am 
the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. For this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We see at least four things there under the bread of life, salvation. Letter A, the person. The person. In addition to the seven signpost miracles that John sort of organizes this section of his gospel around between his prologue and his passion narrative, there's another group of sevens in this, in this marvelous gospel. Seven I am statements of Jesus. This is the first. I am the bread of life. The reason I always say that with a bit of a pause is there's a, there's a way in the, in the Greek in which the New Testament is written, there's a way to make first person declarative statements by just saying the verb and, and, or just saying the adjective or the metaphor in this case. You don't need the words I am. It's baked into, the word bread can be said in such a way as to have baked into it <laughs> the idea of I am. Jesus does not utilize that here. Jesus lifts out and emphasizes with extra words that are grammatically unnecessary the emphatic I am. Again, there are those pseudo-scholars who will claim that Jesus never claimed deity for himself. Their whole reaction to these I am claims, and you're going to see it again and again and again, they heard him. They knew that when he said, I am, he was once again reaching back to the book of Exodus, this time to the account of the burning bush early in the book of Exodus where Moses receives his commission from God at the burning bush. Moses comes to the burning bush summoned by God to, 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 to basically to complain about the state of God's people. God, there are people on this world who need delivering. And God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, answers from the burning bush. I love this. I have seen. I have heard. I know. And now I have come down. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Because it was. And in these seven I am statements, of which this is the first, Jesus says that voice in the bush that burned with fire but was not consumed, I am. It was a blunt claim to deity. Make no mistake. The person. Also in this very same verse, by the way, is what's necessary for you to come to Jesus, for you to have eternal life. Here's, here's what you must do. This verse says, whoever comes and whoever believes will never thirst. Whoever comes, 
There's, there's much in this paragraph and the paragraph to follow about salvation viewed sort of from a God's eye perspective. But do not lose that all that is necessary for you, my friend, if you are far from God, if up to this point in your life you have loved your sin more than you have loved your need for a savior, and you have yet to turn from your sin and follow Jesus, know that eternal life is for whoever comes, whoever believes. Oh, would you not turn from your sin and come to Jesus? To come to Jesus is to come away from your love for your sin. To believe is to cast your life on him. Understanding that the price he paid on the cross by his substitutionary death paid the sin debt you owe and has set you free that you may believe and follow Christ all the way to glorious eternal life. Whoever comes, whoever believes. That is the person of salvation. But let her be the problem. See in verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen. You have seen. You're asking me what I'm going to show you? You saw me feed thousands and thousands of people yesterday in an overt, even somewhat showy miracle. You've seen, yet you do not believe. In another place, Jesus will say, you have eyes, but you do not see. Ears, but you do not hear. No matter how, <laughs> evidence will never overcome unbelief. Because unbelief does not live mostly in the brain. It lives mostly in the heart. The issue is not that Jesus has not proven himself time and time again. He has. The issue is love of sin. There's the problem. Ah, uh, let her see. We've looked at the, at the man's eye view. Come, believe. Now we see from the God's eye view the, the marvelous eternality of our salvation. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Christian, you are a love gift from God the Father to God the Son. Your ultimate cause for salvation, your ultimate gratitude for his grace is not your own decision making or your own response. It's him. It's him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Salvation belongs to the Lord. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'm here to obey my Father as my Father is on mission in the world, calling out of lost humanity a people for himself, and I'm not going to lose any of them. The ground of your security, my believing friend, is not your grip on Jesus. Though I pray that grip is passionate and intense, the ground of your security is his grip on you. 
He treasures you as a gift from God the Father by means of the convicting and converting power of God the Holy Spirit. And you'll be kept because Jesus isn't going to lose anything God the Father gives him. That's the God's eye view. And it is perfectly and flawlessly executed. Letter D, the perfection. This is the will of him who sent me. I will lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. I'm going to do everything my Father says do. And everyone who comes to me and believes, I'll raise him up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. God the Father has made a gift of you, believer, to the glory of God the Son, Jesus Christ. That gift will not be misplaced the perfection, which leads us to Roman numeral three, the bread of life's security. Letter A, the promise. There's a little interlude here where the Jews grumble. It's, it's a fascinating to me that the origin of manna, if you read Exodus 16, comes at a time when the Jews were grumbling against God and his provision, and here they are, a thousand years later, grumbling again. Imagine that. People who, who should know better because they have a long history of knowing God, grumbling and whining because God is not giving them exactly what they want in the way they want it. I'm glad you and I have never experienced anything that looks remotely like that. Oh, how history repeats itself. People grumble. They grumbled because specifically of Jesus' claim to deity. They grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They didn't miss his I am statement. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Why does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. By the way, notice they had Jesus' parentage half right. Um, he is the adopted son of Joseph, not the biological son of Joseph. But they can't imagine that this Jesus is who he claims he is, even as he's done now these five signs. <laughs> the bread of life security, letter A, the promise. The promise, it's in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now that phrase causes people more heartburn. Let me see if I can tums that heartburn a little bit. Pastor Russell, what about our free will? Well, see, here's the problem. Your free will is so enslaved to sin that Ephesians 2.1 calls you dead. Not sick, not paralyzed, not stunned, not mostly dead, dead. And if left to your own devices, your free will is so enslaved to sin that if God didn't do a sovereign work in capturing your heart and drawing you to himself, there would be no such thing as a Christian. 
All of humanity, citizens of a world at war with God, would without exception go to hell. But God is doing a work on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus. God is drawing a people to himself. He who is sovereign over all things is sovereign over all things. That's all this is saying. And if you have a problem with the sovereignty of God over all things, read Isaiah 46, read Ephesians 1. See how God has interacted with his creation from the very beginning. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. By the way, that means you and I share the word of God with every person that breathes. And we trust him to save everyone who will come and believe. Because he will. But he promises, I will raise him up on the last day. Everyone who comes and believes. No one is going to be lost who has been saved. By the way, he makes that promise four times with pretty much those same words in this passage. I will raise it, I will raise it up on the last day, verse 39. I will raise him up on the last day, verse 40. I will raise him up on the last day, verse 44. He will live forever, verse 51. <clears throat> that is the promise. Let her be the prophecy. Here, quoting Isaiah 54, 13, Jesus says, they will all be taught by God. God's people will learn from God. That is the prophecy. Let her see the permanence. This whole paragraph is woven through with assertions and statements regarding the permanence of salvation. He hits it again in verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life, not will have eternal life, not hopes for eternal life, has it. Oh, friend, outside of Christ, eternal life is for you if you will come and believe. And it doesn't start on the other side of the grave. It starts now to know the living God through Jesus Christ to have a relationship with him. That is the dawn of eternal life. And there is no reason to delay your having it, the permanence. And then letter D, the price. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, if anyone eats of this bread which I am, you can see he's beginning to turn now from the manna to the, to the word picture of his own body. He will live forever. And that bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. On the basis of the cross, the death of Jesus Christ, the Father is drawing out for himself a people. Our obligation is to come, is to believe, and to be secure in that 
eternal life. The hymnist said it like this. That soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. I have a feeling that hymnist was fresh out of John chapter 6 when he wrote that verse.